So today we're going to talk about Christian contentment. Um, the dictionary defines to be content as a state of peaceful happiness and satisfaction. Not my experience on Friday, at least not entirely. I probably would have been better off on Friday to sit. Did you notice the, the background to the slides as we were worshiping? That's Bridal Falls. That's our Bridal Falls, right? So some of the staff members who do these things, they go and they take video of different things and they just somehow import them into these backgrounds and I just love it. Um, that, that could bring peaceful happiness and satisfaction if you sat there long enough. Uh, but uh, on Friday, so what happened was, um, so my wife is, is doing a little tour visiting family and friends. Right now she's in Saskatoon, worshiping as well with a body of believers that she grew up with in. And uh, some of my family is there, so she's visiting. She stopped in Calgary for a couple of nights left Wednesday. So pray for me as she's gone. Pray for her for protection. Uh, and then she a couple of nights with family in Calgary. Then she flew to, with her sister-in-law to uh, Cal uh, Saskatoon, where she's spending another few nights uh, reconnecting with high school friends that all graduated together. And then she's off to uh, New Brunswick to visit our kids for uh, about a week and then coming home. All of that to say, uh, right before she left, I got a text message from a friend uh, in Yarrow said, hey, I'm, doing, I'm putting together a little motorcycle ride with another guy. Why don't we, you know, you meet me at the Yellow Barn on Three Road. We'll uh, go to Willingdon Avenue, pick up uh, my friend, and then we're going to zip up the coast to Whistler, Pemberton, you know, Lillooet, do the loop, come home. Duffy Lake Loop, they call it. I said, beautiful. So I'm keeping my eye on the weather because all of a sudden it's changing. And uh, we have all of these hot, sunny days, and then it's like, uh-oh, rain in the forecast. So I texted those guys the night before, and I said, look, looks better if we were to go up the canyon first. We're going to have sunshine. By the time we get around to the coast, the rain, you know, we should be in the clear. Well, they wouldn't have any of it. And, of course, I was right, like I usually am. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I won't say always, but it's pretty close. Okay, anyway. Got up in the morning got all my gear on, I cleaned up my bike the day before. See, my biggest concern is that my bike stays clean. Okay, I'm just one of those guys. Don't mind the rain so much, but I don't like spending it like two hours polishing because that's the kind of bike that needs it. So I get up, it's spitting a little bit, starting to drizzle over the bridge as I'm heading out of town. But then it dried up a bit as I got to the highway, figured, okay, it's just by the river, should be okay, and I'm cruising down the highway, it's really muggy and overcast, and then I hit, like, just between Annis and Press Road, it starts raining. I get to Three Road, it's raining, I had to park over a little overhang to keep dry, my buddy rolls up, I'm sopping wet to the knees, I didn't have my rain gear on, my feet are already wet by this point, and I says, look, why don't you carry on, I might join you later, the other way, and I'll meet you at half point and ride back. So, fine. So, I, I did that. They took off. I went home. I re-polished my bike. <laughs> oh, yeah. That thing has to stay clean for, for real. Settled down a little bit, collected my thoughts, and then I headed up the canyon by myself. It was beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, and then I got to Lillooet, and I figured, I'm going to see if I can meet them at Duffy Lake. And 21 kilometers short of Duffy Lake, <laughs> I had to turn around with them. That's okay, though. I've seen it before. And then lunch in Lillooet and uh, back home. So uh, it ended up being a pretty good day, but um, started with discontent, ended with mostly content. 
And I thought to myself, is this what the Apostle Paul is referring to when he, when he finishes this wonderful letter to the church? Let's read it together. Philippians 4, 10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. So, I think the heart of the matter here is this contentment. As I said, the dictionary defines our English word as a state of peaceful happiness and satisfaction. But the ancient Greek word that Paul used here and I think he was using a word, I mean, it was part of his culture. It's in our Bibles, but it's, uh, it, was a, it was a word that has been translated contentment. But it means literally this, sufficient for oneself, strong enough or processing enough to need no aid or support. Hmm, that's interesting. One commentator wrote, the Greek literally expresses independent of others having sufficiency in oneself. But Christianity has raised the term above the haughty self-sufficiency of the heathen Stoic to the contentment of the Christian whose sufficiency is not in self, but in God. So I want to blend all this together and say, if we take contentment as meaning sufficiency in God, leading to hopefully what our English word describes as a peaceful, a state of peaceful happiness and satisfaction based on that sufficiency, knowing that we are not burdening others with, with what can only be derived from God. The rest of what Paul says here makes sense as he describes how we get to this place of sufficiency in God. So, it's where I'm going this morning. Contentment is sufficiency in God relying on him completely to meet our, meet our needs so as to not expect or burden others to do that for us, right? Six things from this text that will help us become more sufficient in God. So if you're a note taker, now is the time. Uh, kids, again, there are activity sheets. It's okay to go, get up and grab one. Apparently, you're uh, playing a little form of bingo based on things that I say and refer to, which is quite hilarious. I think all of the adults should have one of those sheets. It's, it's kind of fun, actually. So another thing for you kids is I, as I talk, 
uh, today about contentment. If there's room on the back of the sheet, what's on the back? It's blank. You could draw a picture for me about what contentment looks like, biblically, all right? Just draw a picture. Adults, if it helps you focus, you can do that too. It's fine. My wife can't focus, not even on my preaching, probably especially on my preaching, unless she's taking notes. She said it just helps me to track with what's being said. Okay, number one, contentment. Remember, sufficiency in God, not relying on others to meet our needs, all right? Paul was very careful about that. We're going to talk about this first off. Contentment is cultivated by concern. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You had no opportunity. What does that mean? So Paul refers in this letter at the end that the Philippian church, um, out of all of the Macedonian churches, was one really that stepped up to the plate to meet his needs earlier. Then all of a sudden, Paul, I think, like he went dark, right? Because he, <laughs> he kind of ran into some trouble. He's now sitting in prison. There was no opportunity, but all of a sudden it got revived because they found out where he was. They sent Epaphroditus to visit, to, to meet some of his needs, and he brought some aid with him. And, uh, and so now he's rejoicing in the Lord greatly that they had this opportunity. They revived their concern for him. And, and he found a lot of... Uh, uh, satisfaction and sufficiency in that. Uh, he says in the letter, I wasn't expecting it. I don't even need it, to be honest with you. How can that, how can that be? Here's a guy, the great apostle, sitting in a Roman prison, which was probably better than some other experiences he had where he was beaten and stoned and whipped and put in shackles in Philippi earlier. But now he's in a Roman prison, still not nice, but it's like, Okay, guys, I don't really have a need, but I'm so glad that you revived your concern for me. And you see, contentment, um, contentment comes into our lives when we express care and concern for others. And when we're in need, we allow others to step up to the plate and be concerned about us, even though we think we may not need it as much as we do. You see, contentment is not cultivated on the couch. It's not potato chips and a Coke that brings satisfaction and sufficiency, although that helps with a good movie or, you know, a Canucks game or something like that. I'm just saying, you know, like, you know me, some chip dip. But true contentment comes from the opportunity to express loving care and concern for others and to receive that in return. Paul was so comforted, contented, knowing that others cared for him. There was another church out there that was aware of his suffering. And they did something about it again. The King James Version actually says, they, they translate the word concern, they translate it as the word care. And I like that. So Paul said, your care of me hath flourished again. It's beautiful. The word care or concern means to think of someone in the sense of to be concerned about him or her to seek one's interest or their advantage. And listen, when someone cares, it, it, it pulls us out of isolation, doesn't it? Uh, Paul did not do well in isolation. He always had to be surrounded by people. He didn't do ministry alone. He needed a team. We're gonna talk about that later too. 
And when people come around us and truly express their care and concern, we don't feel so alone. It bolsters our sufficiency, our contentment. Number two, contentment is caught. It's caught. They say, what is something taught or caught? The answer is yes. <laughs> it's, it's caught. It's both. It's learned. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I have learned. I know how. I know how. I have learned the secret. Christian contentment is a learned process. It doesn't come naturally. We have to be taught and we have to receive that teaching and implement it into our lives. It's a process of, of discovery. Paul said literally learning a secret, finding out how to unlock this in our lives. It's intentional. So how is it learned? Okay, this is the part that we don't want to hear. How is contentment, sufficiency learned? Well, Paul said it is learned in abundance and it is learned in need. It is learned in the lows and it is learned in the highs. So the third thing, contentment is, I'm a person of alliteration, so in this sermon, contentment, everything starts with C. Contentment is circumscribed by every circumstance. Verse 12, the second half, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The reason I use the word circumscribed, if you are, uh, like I love math, uh, that's going to sound really strange, but I did really well at math uh, throughout high school. And uh, I just, for whatever reason, it just clicked with me. And, uh, and so circumscribed is actually a geometric term. It literally means to draw around. So what's in the middle is inscribed. What's on the outside is circumscribed. Um, so it refers to a shape drawn outside another shape where the outside shape touches all the points of the one on the inside. So for a polygon to be inscribed inside a circle, all of its points must, must touch the circle, and the circumscribed circle must touch all the points of the polygon. Does that make sense? Okay. Our lives and everything that goes with it, <laughs> all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly are like that circle, that geometric shape, and contentment comes to us not only when the good parts of our lives or what we think are good are embraced and touch that circle, but when all of life is truly embraced as a gift of God. So our life circumscribes what's on the inside, which is things that are inscribed to us, the polygon, the good, the bad, the ugly, and when they all touch our lives, Paul says there is contentment in that. All of it. This is what we don't want to hear, but this is what we need to hear. In any and every circumstance, wrote Paul, I have learned the secret of facing the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's my paraphrase. I'm not going to write a, another translation of the Bible, by the way. There are all, there's lots of good ones out there. So here's the thing. Huh. Content people don't panic. 
It doesn't matter what happens. They are steady. They are unflapped. They are sure. There's a sufficiency about their lives that is attractive. Now, does that mean that our heart doesn't skip a beat once in a while or that it flutters or that we go, oh my, what is tomorrow going to look like, let alone the next five years? Where am I going to be? What's going to happen to me? Like, health, work, family, marriage, kids, career. Not that I'm speaking of being a need, wrote Paul in the verse before. Amazing, hey? Roman prison, didn't think he had any real needs. He recognized other people had more than he did. Um, He said, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In whatever situation I am to be content. To be sounds future. Like I am to be content. So when that happens, then I'll be content. <laughs> Listen, if you haven't learned how to, to be content now, you're not going to be content then. And, and that's what that word means. Where Paul said, literally, in whatever situation I am to be, the, the verb to be there is a present active infinitive verb. It's now. Paul in that prison was content for a lot of reasons, which we've talked about in this letter. So let's talk about the low and let's talk about the plenty. You see, contentment doesn't mean being um, apathetic in the low or having a woe is me attitude. You see, this sufficiency, which I'm going to talk about yet, that comes from God, primarily through Christ, is something that helps us rise above things when we are in in the dumps, so to speak. So contentment doesn't mean apathy or woe is me. Remember, it means sufficiency. So the Apostle James said, are you sick? And I I know people right now in this congregation that are sick, very sick. So what are you gonna do? Scripture says, pray, obviously. But it also says, okay, is any one of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. They can come and anoint the person with oil and pray over him and deal with whatever's going on in life, physically, spiritually, emotionally. That's what we can do. It amazes me how people resist prayer from the elders of the church. Wow. (laughs) Like, I just have to say, wow. It, It is a biblical command. Are you sick? Call the elders of the church. And our our elders, like, they meet monthly and they invite people to pray prior to their meeting and they do anointing with oil. But, so you can't wait a month from now. You're sick now. Call. Call the elders of the church. They will come to you. I promise you, they will. It's another sermon. I better keep going. Uh, Are you struggling? Financially, maybe. There are things you can do. There's counseling available You can look for a better job. You can get some support around that. God has given us sufficiency to be able to address these things. Do you have a bad relationship? Please get help. Go seek some counseling. As I said the other day, see a doctor if you're not feeling right. If you're depressed, you have anxiety. There's things, friends, we can do. But the more challenging one is in plenty. I mean... I used my illustration about my motorcycle uh, and contentment intentionally because it's so silly. I have a gorgeous motorcycle. 
And if a little bit of rain is going to throw me off my day, like, tell me to get a life. All right? (laughs) Thank you. And actually, it didn't throw me off too much. I wasn't happy that it was raining and that I had to polish my bike again, but come on. I have a motorcycle. I have friends to ride with. I've got a house where I can go and stay dry, for goodness sake. Like, I've, right? It's harder to be content when you have plenty. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. To another church, the apostle wrote, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations that I had, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong and that leads us well into point four and this is the heart of the text from verse 13 contentment is contingent on Christ I saw a quote in Facebook the other day I like that and it has to do with the previous point about our circumstances but it says this I don't know who wrote it but it says sometimes you have to let go of the picture of what you thought life would be like and learn to find joy in the story you're living. That's what you got to do. Knowing that this contentment and this uh, sufficiency is 100% contingent on Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is one of the most misused verses in the Bible. Evander Holyfield, for example, before he fought Mike Tyson, he had him Philippians 4.13 embroidered onto his gear. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, including knock the daylights out of Mike Tyson, right? Tim Tebow, you know, quite familiar uh, or famous uh, NFL football player, or used to be, I think. Anyway, he, he had Philippians 4.13 just put into the paint under his eyes, right? It's like right in there. Uh, Steph Curry, he has it on his basketball shoes. But probably the best one that I heard about was the worship leader who invoked Philippians 4.13 in order to fit into his skinny jeans. (laughs) You can laugh. That was in the Babylon Bee, okay? Look it up. Now, um, I have judged these guys a little bit, maybe quite a bit, maybe unfairly, I don't know. But I think that it's easy to get the wrong message across. That if I set a goal, I can do it because of Jesus. So what happens if I fail to meet the goal? What if Steph Curry goes out on the court and he fails to shoot his goal of maybe 10 three-point shots? Was Christ not sufficient for him? Just saying. The word, the word says, con, the word, the world the world says that contentment is contingent on all kinds of things, on kudos, on our career, on how well we do. 
within that career on our cash in the bank or the charisma that we have or the comforts of life. But true contentment is contingent, Paul said, on Christ and Christ alone in any and every circumstance, whether we hit those three-pointers or not. So Jason Halopoulos, he puts it this way, and I I can email this to you later if you want because there's tons of scriptures that go with it, and I'm going to kind of blow by those, maybe refer to a few. But he said, okay, the boat that you long for, what is it but a desire for freedom and rest, which is ultimately found in Christ? Matthew 11, Romans 8. That promotion at its root is simply security and respect, Ultimately, these are found in Christ. Friendship, what, is a, what a friend we have in Jesus, one who, ever, who never abandons nor forsakes us. Family, we have an older brother who leads the way, Hebrews 2, and unites us to a father who ever leads us. Justice, he is a judge who forever upholds righteousness. Comfort, we have a priest who forever intercedes. Wisdom, we have a prophet who always proclaims, a counselor who is ever ready with comfort a provider who ever supplies, a savior who will pay the price for our sins, a defender who will guard and keep us. If we desire love, it is found in his spread arms on the cross. If we want hope, it is found in his resurrection. If we seek peace, it is found in his blood shed for us. If we seek joy, it is given in his spirit. Happiness, it is found in knowing what awaits us. Power, you will rule with him forever. Are you hungry? He's the bread of life. Are you thirsty? He's the living water. Naked, he covers you with his righteousness. Health, he is the great physician. Knowledge, he holds it in his hand. Rest, he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Compassion, it flows from him. Riches, we are made co-heirs with him. Christian contentment is Christ-centered 100%. And in fact, the, 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 test, the New Testament, the scriptures say all of the promises of God, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 13, verses five through six says, keep your life free from the love of money. So here is one thing that can cause discontent in our lives is not having enough. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Um, so speaking about sufficiency and contentment in Christ, when I, when I read Hebrews 13 and the author quotes this passage that says, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? It brings me to when Jesus said, don't fear the one who can destroy your body. Because he was warning his disciples that they would go through tough times. They would be persecuted. They'd be thrown in prison. They would be beaten. They would be whipped. But he said, you need to fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus said it, and he was referring to himself, God the Father. That's who we need to fear, friends. Number five, got to keep moving here. Contentment is constructed through connection. You like the alliteration? Pretty awesome, hey? What I mean constructed is, it is built up. That's what construction is. You build things. So 
Our, our contentment, our sufficiency is built up through connection. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me, uh, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, for I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul was just so thankful for their partnership that they would share in his trouble. And so our contentment really is built up. Our, our uh, sufficiency in Christ is built up as we partner uh, with others in the church. That's, that's one of the reasons, why the, the, uh, a big reason the church exists is to come alongside people and to partner with them when they have need. Uh, this is cool because the, the letter, Philippians, uh, the letter to this church begins and it ends with this idea of partnership. Paul said in verse three of chapter one, after he declares who he and Timothy is and he gives speaks grace over them, and he says, who's the letter is for? He says, I, first thing, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in, uh, in every prayer of mine, uh, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnerships, uh, they can be challenging, has everyone, has anyone here ever done, like if you've been, like whether it's elementary school, high school, college, whatever, have you ever done a group project? Those are just the worst, right Carson? They're just the worst. Like you, you, you either gotta, you know, help the guy who doesn't care and you end up doing all the work so he can get an A when he, all he cares about is a C. I don't care about a C, I want an A, it's just me. Or you're the guy with a C who has to sit on the guy who's an A to keep him from getting all excited, right? Just calm down, everything's gonna be okay, you're a control freak right now, all right? Partnerships, <laughs> they're, they're challenging. Uh, anybody have a business partner? <laughs> Don't put your hand up. Uh, has anybody ever been married? <laughs> okay, enough said. Partnerships are challenging, but you know what? they ultimately make us better. And partnerships have to be tangible. It's not just about talk. And when I say tangible, it's not about the money. Paul was thankful for their gifts, but what he really wanted was, he longed for is just to be with them. <laughs> and he couldn't, he was in prison, but what they sent represented their heart, and that's what he appreciated, that's what he loved. Second Corinthians 8, this is what I'm gonna come back to. Uh, when he said, he said to the church in Corinth, I, I want you to know, brothers, sisters, friends, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for they're in a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their, their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, here's the thing. Partnerships 
giving, supporting, caring is ultimately really to build up our faith. The Lord does so much uh, in, in our hearts and in our faith and in our discipleship when we actually come alongside someone else. It builds us up. And Paul said, hey, if you want to give, fine. I don't need it. I'm sufficient. I'm content. But I'll, it'll do you some good to give, so you just go ahead. <laughs> I love it. Partnership produces content, contentment, plus it is an investment in the kingdom of God. It, it determines where our treasure is. It produces fruit in our lives, and it is counted to us in heaven. Isn't that Amazing. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is that your heart will be also because God too is looking for the heart. And that's what partnership is all about. It's an investment in the kingdom of God. We need partnerships. Um, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you a little bit. I'm glad you're here this morning. Many of you are faithful. There's some that you know of others who aren't here this morning. And I hope that you would take this message with you back to the people that you know and love who've maybe been part of our congregation and have uh, walked away or they're a little bit AWOL right now. Uh, but I, 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 you have no idea how many times I run into people who have great needs or great sorrow. They are struggling incredibly hard in their lives. And then I run to them, they go, oh, I miss the church. I miss it. Like, I gotta get back to church. And I'm thinking, boy, you don't miss it that much because I never see you here. It sounds harsh, but Scripture says, don't give up the habit of meeting together. And there's reasons for that. If we isolate ourselves, our, our sense of sufficiency, which comes from Christ, but it's also bolstered in the community, it, it lacks. So I'm glad to see you all here this morning. I really am. Don't give up the habit of meeting together. Don't do it legalistically. Everyone needs a break. Everyone needs a holiday. Get out of town. Have some fun. It's good but the body of Christ, what we do, and, and by the way, the Sunday morning is not the end all and the be all. Like you have to connect in life groups during the week. Get involved in a ministry team that serves on Sunday night. Daniel Sluice over here, our worship leader, would be thrilled if some people would step up to the plate to join a ministry team on Sunday night because you need some youth leaders come a couple of weeks, right? Some gals in particular. It's partnership. It bolsters us. It strengthens us. It keeps us out of isolation. We are blessed when we make an investment in the kingdom of God in this way. We need each other. That's what Paul is saying. Finally, contentment is contagious. And I want to end with this. Good way to end. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, and the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You see this contentment is contagious. It spreads to others. 
Paul said, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was a giver, and he said, look, when you give, what will happen is my God will meet all of your needs. Um, That's a side bonus. But the thing is, when we partner and when we experience the sufficiency of Christ in our life and when we rely on him for all of these things, it ultimately is about the riches that are ours in glory in Christ Jesus. And then he ends by saying, to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. You see, here's the thing. When all of this happens that we're talking about, it results in in our riches according to the the glory of God, but it, it brings then glory back to him. And, and when our lives glorify God, it is there for others to see, and all of a sudden, they get drawn in, and then their sufficiency is met, and it is bolstered. When people observe our contentment and our generosity out of that, it brings glory to God, and it, and it points a watching world to Christ. Uh, Pastor Jason on our staff, he tells the story of... of uh, retold the story of Pastor Ezra Koti at Northview Church there in Abbotsford who uh, went on a mission trip one time to Romania and there was this guy named Joseph that they were visiting who was a worker there, a missionary in Romania and he had incredible needs. They walked into his place and they were actually in shock as to how he was living. Uh, Like leaking roof, pipes, the smell of sewer, bugs, like what we would consider pretty deplorable conditions where where we are very fortunate enough to live. And and so the team, after their mission trip to Romania, as many teams do, they decide to take a little time for themselves and do some tourist kind of things. And they said, we are canceling that because the needs here are great and we're going to pool the money we would have used on ourselves and we're going to give it to Joseph. So they did. They left it with him and uh, they came back, spent the remainder of their time there and, uh, and they found out that Joseph had given it all to other people <laughs> who had greater needs than he did. He didn't feel worthy to accept that because he knew of so many other people who had so much more need than him. And again, they were humbled that here's a guy who received so much, so much, and he just gave it all away. And you know what happens in those situations? It just brings glory to God. And, and that's what a missionary does, and, and that's who we are called to be here to be missionaries, to be ambassadors for Christ, to bring glory to him out of the contentment and the sufficiency that we ourselves have in our life. And, I, and to me, probably the most important verse uh, of this text, but also really of the whole letter, is verse 22, and I'm going to end with this. And the saints greet you, church in Philippi, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul's contentment, his sufficiency and others' concern and partnership and the things he learned and modeled for others and expected of others, things like service and humility, obedience, 
his sufficiency in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances, and most importantly, his sufficiency in, in Christ touched those around him, even to the very core of the palace. The praetorium guard heard about Jesus, and yes, even Caesar's very own family, some of them came to faith. Paul was chained, but the gospel was not. And in chains, Paul was content, and in his content, the church was built and the kingdom of God flourished. Can the same be said of us? Let's pray. Oops. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible letter that we had a chance to finish off today as we move into fall. And oh Lord, what a good challenge for all of us that our sufficiency and our contentment comes primarily from you, but it also comes, Lord, through allowing others to be concerned, to be caring, to partner, to be generous. And so God, as we, as we continue in worship and as we go from this place, I pray that you would uh, bolster our sufficiency so that others in our own households and in this community can come to know you because they see in us something that they want, that they need. So would you open doors, Lord, in this district for the gospel and would you give us boldness to walk through them and to fearlessly declare who you are, to declare it not only in our actions and our contentment, but also with our words. So Lord, bless us. Make your face shine upon us and give us your peace and your sufficiency. In Jesus' name, amen.